Milk Duds, Kit Kats, Rolos, Heath Bars, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. That mix, that's the one that we get um, because I'm perfectly glad to give them out to the 10 or 12 people who ring the doorbell. And then, unfortunately, I will probably eat the rest of them or, you know, more likely, I'm going to just put them in my kids' bedrooms and let them eat them so that I don't have to. There you go. I'm looking forward to this next week when the other people in my office bring their leftover candy to the office. That's always a good time. I like to see what what they've been giving out. I'm going to like it's going to wind up being like 40 million rolls of Smarties or something, um, in which case we'll leave it in the bucket for the students and they'll eat anything. Once upon a time, I would buy the candy that I really hated so that I wouldn't eat the leftovers. It was just something about this year. I'm like, I'm just going to I'm just going to do it. If I'm going to be answering the door, which I was for a short amount of time before we started this podcast, uh, then, then I want to have the things that I want to have. And I am in a position in my life, shall we say, where I can do those things. And I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Kit Kats and Twix and all the fun things. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman and Greg Thomas. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 292, season 15, episode 15. It's the one with all the leftover candy for your podcast for November 1st of 2021. I'm Pat Coleman, editor and publisher of D3Football.com, and the guy who might still have to step away to answer the doorbell for trick-or-treaters, I'm not quite sure. And I'm Greg Thomas. I write Around the Nation, the column, and, you know, I use this space weekly to like provide some coach inspiration but sometimes sometimes pat weeks are big enough and games are big enough that you don't have to say anything to get your players fired up and ready to go and this is one of those weeks just everybody knows what's at stake everybody is uh on board they know what know what needs to happen we don't need any additional inspiration well that's good because i think the last i checked we just got ranked the number two division three football podcast and i am not very happy about that it's up on my board i mean i don't know who does these rankings and i don't care to know yes indeed the, i am shocked at the level of disrespect oh well, i said with all due respect hey 292 episodes in and uh, and that's you know apparently i mean people have made up polls and fake quotes and posted them on bulletin boards since time immemorial so uh Who's to say we're not doing the same thing? We are coming uh, into a week where there's a number of big games up and down the calendar. Uh, We are coming out of a week where a game where maybe we thought we didn't have to pay it a whole lot of attention became very interesting down the course of the stretch. A couple of games in the Liberty League we knew would be uh, important and impressive, and they were. A game, of course, in the Centennial, and then... We'll be handing out our game balls. We'll be talking about the uh, off the beaten path highlights, our most surprising results, and we'll chat with Kurt Fitzpatrick. He's the head coach at SUNY Cortland. His team, the first to clinch a bid into the 2021 Division Three football playoffs as they beat Alfred on Sunday. So an automatic bid going to Cortland. And, you know, one of the things that is almost as reliable as death and taxes is Mount Union getting the automatic bid out of the Ohio Athletic Conference. And, I mean, obviously it would have taken more than 
the strange thing that looked like it just might happen on Saturday for Mountain Union not to win the OAC, but that strange thing that looked like it was about to happen on Saturday almost happened on Saturday. It did. Mount Union, they got taken to the wire, but survived in a 42-35 to shootout with Ohio Northern. The Polar Bears piled up 539 yards of offense against Mount Union, including 183 yards on the ground, which you almost never see against a Mount Union defense. Ohio Northern, they held a 28-20 to lead in the third quarter. Purple Raider quarterback Braxton Plunk tossed two of his four touchdowns on Mount Union's next two possessions to put the Purple Raiders back in front 35-28. to Brody Hahn tied the game with a nine-yard run with just under nine minutes to go before Mount Union closed the game out with a decisive clock-killing drive for a late touchdown to secure that 42-35 to win. More on that later. This game is notable, obviously, because Mount Union doesn't often trail in the second halves, and we wouldn't have seen this kind of four-quarter grinder coming in the wake of ONU's loss to Capital last week. Is this red flags for the Purple Raiders or just one of those games during a season where the favored team isn't at their best and maybe not representative of what we might see in November and December. Well, I think if we were to go back and channel the coach speak, which is a thing we do in the first five minutes of this podcast fairly often, I'm sure one of the things we would hear from Mount Union is that Dean Paul, a Mount Union alum, I'm sure that would be referenced, uh, is a guy who's always going to bring his teams prepared to play Mount Union. Um, you know, they're not a, they're, there's the list of teams that have beaten Mount Union in OAC games in the uh, the automatic bid era, which just happens to coincide with the D3Football.com era, is two, right? That's uh, John Carroll, mm-hmm. which is now like five years ago, and 2005, uh, Mount Union did that uh, in Alliance. Um, you know, the only thing the only thing you could really look at is there's a couple things here. One, Han is a really impressive quarterback. He looked really good on Saturday. You know, that, uh, that nine-yard run that you just described was kind of his second big scramble on that drive. And, you know, when teams go... When teams have a lead on the Purple Raiders and then the and then Mount Union ties it up, takes the lead, usually that other team folds, right? You do not see the uh, teams such as Ohio Northern come back and score again, where you would see someone like North Central or in the past Wesley would go toe-to-toe with them, that sort of thing. That doesn't necessarily happen in conference games. That happened here. Uh, Han looked really good uh, all the way up until the, uh, the interception he threw that essentially ended the game with about... Um, 17 seconds left. I may be making that up, but I had to write that in something yesterday, so maybe that's still true, something along those lines. Um, you know, also, I know Mount Union was missing a couple of starting defensive backs. I know Josh Jones was out. He did not appear in the box score. Um, everything that we have heard, and I'm just going to say heard, uh, is that there are a couple guys uh, missing because of COVID protocols. I would say if you're Mount Union, those twos get a metric crap ton of playing time. So I'm not too sure that the, you know, how big a drop off there is uh, on one or two guys on a starting defense. Um, this is the kind of, this is the kind of year 2021 in general, both the spring and the fall where those things happen. Right. The, so those, uh, those twos have to have some playing time. I don't know. just very interesting and kind of, su- of a surprise, but obviously, you know, if you're Mount union, then you can at least have that opportunity out of this to get those guys tested and you know if nothing else you've got a lot of stuff on film to look at coming into this week against Muskingum. yeah and I think Mount Union often likes to get a challenge in conference play just to sort of get tested and and have to go four quarters um, in a game before they get to the playoffs where in the second or third rounds typically that's when teams are going to be able to hang with Mount Union for four quarters 
Um, and so, you know, they got that out of Ohio Northern on Saturday. Maybe that's wake up call. Maybe, you know, maybe it is just a personnel issue from this week, but um, you know, Mount union right here on the onset of November, got a challenge right before the playoffs. And, you know, maybe it's indicative of what we can expect in the playoffs, or maybe that's the, the put the spurs to him a little bit, you know, typically in recent years, Mount union in the playoffs has uh, been in a bracket that has included a bunch of teams from the region formerly known as East now probably more likely region two teams, maybe some region one teams, almost anybody who's within 500 miles of Alliance, Ohio eastward is likely to get included. And we had a couple of big games in those conferences yesterday, for example, RPI and Ithaca, right? We see uh, Ithaca comes into this game undefeated RPI with a rain soaked loss at Hobart as I, I feel like you know, everything that we are going to see in all of these games among those top four teams is going to be just like what we saw on Saturday. That's right. And um, RPI got a 14 to 11 win over Ithaca on on Saturday. And this game started off with a bit of a bang here. RPI, they turned Ithaca over on the first series of the game when Connor Noyes made a terrific interception near midfield of uh, Ithaca quarterback uh, Anthony Wingfield. Uh, after that turnover, George Marinopoulos capitalized with a 29-yard touchdown pass to Vinnie McDonald. The engineer defense took it from there. They held Ithaca scoreless until midway through the third quarter. RPI, they needed an insurance touchdown, and they got one when backup quarterback Matt Peterkuski connected with Riley Conboy for a 31-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. Ithaca had a chance to tie the game late, but Matt Bahamonde missed a 35-yard attempt wide to the left with, uh, I believe, about 35 seconds left in that game. Uh, a couple of big takeaways from this game for me is that Ithaca now has games remaining against Union and Cortland. These are probably games that they need to win to get back into the tournament. The game against RPI was really huge for the Bombers. They needed to win this one, and then a split over weeks 10 and 11 would have had Ithaca in one way or another almost for sure. Um, now Ithaca... They could be the eight and two team on the outside looking in for the second consecutive tournament. Uh, the other piece from this game to track is the injury to George Marinopoulos. He's a four-year starter for RPI. He's been to the quarterfinals in his career, and the engineers are going to miss his experience down the stretch if he's unable to return. A win this week at St. Lawrence would set RPI up for a, a play-in game against Union in the Dutchman Shoes game in week 11. But winning in St. Lawrence without Marinopolis is not something we can assume. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Union game coming up next. But of course, now Union has its destiny in its own hands as the undefeated team now with, you know, as you said, Ithaca and RPI then still in front of them, right? Yes. And Union's schedule tremendously backloaded with uh, Hobart, Ithaca and RPI all on the end of their schedule. And so we got to see Union we can play off caliber competition for the first time. And their game was also a classic and it featured some clutch plays in the fourth quarter and needed an extra session to determine a winner. But union outlasted Hobart 27 to 20. This game started explosively with Hobart's Rayshon Boswell returning the opening kick 80 yards to the union 15 unions defense responded by forcing it by forcing and blocking a Hobart field goal attempt. It's also worth noting here that union did a great job defending Boswell uh, he After that opening kick return for 80 yards, Boswell was mostly quiet. He was limited to just 33 yards on 12 rush attempts. Jumping ahead to the fourth quarter of this game, Hobart took their first lead 
at 17 to 13 on a David Cruson 10 yard run. Union responded immediately with a 66 yard touchdown pass to Andre Ross Jr. Really the one big play in the past game for Union today on a day where Will Bellamy really kind of struggled. Um, the three point lead that would hold until the final six seconds of regulation when the Union defense again came up with a red zone stop. They forced Hobart to tie the game with a 24 yard field goal. Then in overtime, I.K. Irabor carried the ball six times, including getting the final two yards for the go ahead touchdown. Union's defense held Hobart out of the end zone again in the red zone in the second half of the overtime. This time they stopped David Cruson short on a fourth and three rush attempt uh, that ended the game on about the three yard line. With that win, Union remains undefeated at eight. No, but they are far from out of the woods. Like we said, they have games left at Ithaca and RPI to close the season. Hobart, they pick up their second loss of the season. But as you were saying, Pat, I think what we've seen with the results in the Liberty League so far is that these teams are all really evenly matched. And if these this week's games are any indication, weeks 10 and 11, they're going to be exciting as this conference tries to find its champion. So Irabor back in the lineup uh, for, for a handful of weeks now after missing a little bit of time. Real workhorse type numbers on Saturday. You mentioned uh, his uh, his carries in overtime. He finished 36 carries for 121 yards. That's uh, 3.4 yard, 3. yards a carry. That is a lot of work, man. You know, it's, this is a guy. This is a, is a guy who's you know accustomed to breaking out some big ones, and he did not have a carry of more than 15 yards at all in the afternoon. No, and you wonder if Irabor is going to be able to hold up with that kind of workload over the next. Two weeks, if Union's going to finish out the Liberty League in this way, um, I do. It feels like they need to get more from Will Bellamy in the next two weeks, um, just to sort of balance that out and keep Irabor fresh for uh, the postseason. Should they win these next two games and qualify, we're gonna we're gonna come back to Region Two in a little bit when we talk with uh, Coach Fitzpatrick. And we're not going very far out of it here either. It's just one of those weeks where a bunch of the big games were in Region 2 where, uh, you know, the, we talked about the Centennial Conference still having some shaking out to do. And we had another one of those games on Saturday as uh, Susquehanna and Johns Hopkins in that group of three at the top of the league squared off. Yeah, Johns Hopkins raced out to a 24-0 to lead against Susquehanna on the way to their 38-17 to Centennial Conference win over the Riverhawks. Susquehanna, they did battle back in this game. They cut the lead to 24 to 17 after scoring on the opening drive of the third quarter. But the Blue Jay defense stood tall over the last 28 minutes of the game. And Hopkins added two more touchdowns to put the game away. Hopkins running back, Danny Wolf, was the offensive star in this one, scoring four rushing touchdowns as part of his 140 yard rushing day. Susquehanna will have to bounce back next week and beat Muhlenberg to try and force a Centennial Conference three way tie. You could wind up with three nine and one teams here. And along with the potential for multiple one loss teams from the Liberty league, things start to get really messy for rankings purposes in region two, pretty crowded house uh, in region two. And it won't end up this way in the president's athletic conference because some of these games have still yet to be played, or at least one of the key ones, but WJ Carnegie Mellon and Westminster PA all tied at six and one in the conference. Uh, but WJ is the only one that has one loss overall. It's a time in the podcast where we like to thank the people who help make this podcast happen. Of course, these are coaches and sports information directors, but also very importantly to us are the people who help us 
in a financial way through using the Patreon platform, especially Patreon being a place where people can help uh, sponsor or support people who create content such as this podcast and such as basically the entire D3Sports.com family of websites. You come, you pledge $3 a month, $10 a month, something like that, and it helps us just do a little bit extra uh, in terms of like keeping our scoreboard updated on Saturdays, which is very important, and uh, you know adding extra features as we get into playoff time and that sort of thing. And then we provide, in return, uh, some bonus content to those Patreon subscribers. For example, Greg, something that uh, our group kind of talked through this morning on our uh, in our group chat, which will be a kind of rundown of how we feel in some depth, in fact, about some spots in the uh, top 25 poll on our particular ballots. We do. I do like to share those occasional top 25 chats from the D3 Football Slack channel. Um, this is also a good time to support us through Patreon because it's also basketball season just around the corner and your 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 contribution supports all of the, all of the D3 sports uh, websites including our friends at D3 Hoops who are just about to get started. David Q, Gordon Mann, Ryan Scott, all doing their thing as basketball season gets going, I think, next weekend. Yeah, basketball starts this upcoming Friday. Thanks for the reminder. I, for a second, I thought I might have a night off. The uh, the preseason All-American teams for uh, uh, women's basketball on Monday, preseason All-Americans for men's basketball on Tuesday. You can look for that on D3Hoops.com. And everybody who supports us on uh, Patreon helps us do that or i have been asked uh you know if i don't like the patreon platform is there a way that i can help the uh, the d3sports.com uh efforts out without that and yes you can you can go to d3sports.com slash help and there will be information there to help you with more of a one-time donation type of thing Tight five, Kurt Fitzpatrick, head coach at Cortland, SUNY Cortland, Cortland State. You guys can pick the name, but what they did is uh, pick their way into the NCAA playoffs, clinching the Empire 8 with a win against Alfred on Saturday. First of all, coach, congratulations. Thanks for joining us. What do you guys do next with two regular season games left? Well, thank, thanks, Pat. Thanks for having me. You know, we, we, we move uh, just to try, trying to roll it forward. Big win today, obviously. We're excited to... Uh, to, to punch our ticket to the NCAA tournament, but we, we have two uh, two tough games left in the regular season, playing uh, on the road at St. John Fisher next week, and then, uh, then the, the, uh, the, the Cortica Jug game uh, at the end of the year against Ithaca. Um, so we're going to try to take it, take it one week at a time and continue to prepare uh, like we do each and every week and, and, and you know, uh, just, just keep, keep the train rolling and, and, uh, and keep it going. Our team's pretty focused. Um, we're obviously excited about today, but understand that there's, there's more work left to do. So one, one week at a time, St. John Fisher, your alma mater, is there any different emotion or anything going up against your former school, your former coach? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to compete against them. Uh, coach Paul Bosberg, uh, was, was still the head coach at Fisher was my head coach when I, when I played there. Um, it's, it's, he's been a great mentor to me. Uh, and, and it's just a great, just a great coach, a great person. So it's, it's, uh, it's always fun and, and, and kind of cool to, to play against them. You guys are putting up big numbers on both sides of the ball, or maybe big numbers on offense and then really small numbers on defense, right? Your defense has scored more touchdowns than it is allowed. Uh, tell us a little bit, just like, what's the character of this defense? What's it like? Oh, they're just, they're very hungry. It's a hungry group. We've got a lot of experience on defense, a lot of, 
a lot of fifth year super seniors who were, were supposed to be seniors in 2020 and who are back for, for an extra year. Um, just some, some, some great players. I see them every day in, in, in practice. Um, I'm an offensive coach. It's hard to go against them in practice every day. Um, they're, they're a hungry group. They, they fly to the ball. Um, and, and coach, coach Laz Morgan, our defensive coordinator does a great job of, you know, getting them to play together. Um, and they, you know, they're just, they're, they're fun to watch, fun to watch. I'm glad they're on our side. We talked with you and we talked with Bree Sagala earlier in the season for a, a future story on the website. How has his progression been? What's the uh, offense been like as the season progressed? Brees has been great. He's a great leader, first and foremost, and a, and a great person. Our team really rallies around him. I think that's that's one of, if not the most important attributes of a quarterback is that your teammates want to play hard for and with you. Um, and then, you know, just just what he brings to our table is a dual threat. Uh, he carries the ball a lot for us. He he manages things on the field and is really delivering the ball. He makes great decisions, processes information uh, very well. You know, he's um, I think he's, you know, only thrown a couple interceptions this season. So uh, he's really doing great things. He's, he's he uh, is, a, is a great leader for our team and is really, really helping our offense uh, stay balanced, which is what, what we'd like to do. And a lot of that is because uh, because of, of, of what he does managing managing the offense. You guys made this Empire 8 season and standings basically drama-free by clinching here in Week 9. The folks in the neighboring conference, right, their Liberty League with uh, four teams still in contention, do you have any opportunity to watch that, or are you just focused on uh, what you're looking at or maybe focused on Ithaca since you have them coming up? I mean, we, we, we see some of the Liberty League teams, a lot of the teams in New York, the Empire 8 and Liberty uh, do cross over uh, in non-conference games. So we've seen some Liberty League film scouting uh, our opponents that's going to be an interesting race there's those those four teams at the top are very good very good football teams and uh you know obviously we get uh we we get the chance to play against Ithaca in two weeks so we'll, we'll see more of the film but it's uh I know there were some close nail biters today and it's exciting football and of course right with Ithaca coming up in a couple of weeks this is your first uh, time coaching coming up in a Cortica Jug game I know you know about Cortica Jug, but I'm sure that you're hearing stuff from your alumni, especially since it's been, you know, a year and a half plus that you've been there and not had a chance to coach in this game. What do you hear? What do they tell you? Yeah, I mean, they're they're I'm, I'm excited. You know, I think our alums, our current players, you know, they're they're it's just it's just fun to have so much excitement around a game. I try to stay focused on the week, the week, you know, the week that we're in and the week that we're playing. But I know our alumni on both sides, Cortland and Ithaca, are just get you know, so, so passionate about, about this game, which is what, what makes it so special. 45,000 plus fans at MetLife stadium in 2019 and going back to a big venue at Yankee stadium in 2022. So we're, we're excited to be able to host on our campus in a couple of weeks. You know, we got to get, get through, through this week first and stay focused on the task at hand. And then, and then I'm sure that week will be a blast and I'm excited to, to be a part of my first. I mean, I know Coach obviously is the uh, guy on the offensive side of the ball, right? But that defense playing really well for Cortland. For that matter, the special teams playing really well. Uh, defense, you know, as we said, has scored more touchdowns than it has given up. They've almost had uh, basically as many punt return touchdowns as uh, the uh, as the team has given up uh, so far this season. And you can say what you want. Maybe the Empire 8 is a little bit down this season, but certainly Cortland is laying the wood to those teams. Yeah, Cortland started hot with a – win at Wittenberg and kind of a fun interregional week one game. And they haven't slowed down at all. They, you know, they, it took them a little while to get going against Brockport, but that is really the only place that they have scuffled a little bit. Um, SUNY Cortland in the tournament, 
looking great. And, you know, there's, that's a team that looks like they can win, uh, win games. Maybe. I would think I, you're right. I would think that one game is the minimum. And I'd have to think that uh, depending on where they are in the bracket that uh, for Cortland to win two games should certainly be a possibility this year. Depending on how they do over the course of the next couple of games, obviously, including that Cortica Jug game at home coming up in week 11. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls. It's time for game balls. And my game ball is going to Mount Union running back Josh Petroselli. So Petro's season has been a little quieter this year. He's been splitting uh, carries with DeAndre Parker. But when the Purple Raiders needed a clock-draining, ball-securing drive to end in a touchdown on Saturday, they brought him back out. Petroselli hadn't had a carry since the second quarter by the time that uh, Ohio Northern quarterback Brody Hahn had that scramble into the end zone to tie the game with 840 left. But uh, Petroselli got the call 10 times on the next drive, picking up 45 yards, including that go-ahead touchdown, which was scored with 2 minutes 14 seconds to go. So that drive was 45 of Petroselli's 51 yards on the day. But it's also just a reminder that this guy's here. He's still got it. And you can probably assume you'll see him in the postseason. For the key drive and the game-winning touchdown, Josh Petroselli gets my game ball. Now, he did also punt on Saturday, so maybe there was somebody else for Mountain Union who was also unavailable. Maybe not necessarily part of the uh, game ball factor, but just another way to see that uh, that guy contribute, which was uh, certainly fun to see in the box score. Frankly, I thought it was an error, and I was told today or told on Saturday that, no, that was actually true. I know that's the kind of thing where you're like, is there a duplicate number situation going on here? Uh, that happens. It does. My game ball is going to UW Oshkosh quarterback Kobe Berghammer. Berghammer rallied the Titans not once but twice in the final four minutes to secure a 43-36 win over UW Stout. Following a Stout touchdown with 3.44 to play, they gave the Blue Devils a 28-27 lead. Berghammer ripped off runs of 42 and 28 yards to reclaim that lead in just two plays. Stout answered, scoring a touchdown with one minute and 12 seconds to play and adding the two-point conversion to go ahead by one. 36 to 35 facing fourth and three at their own 32 with 26 seconds to play. Berghammer found Tony Steger in the middle of the field and 68 yards later, Oshkosh dashed the hopes of a stout upset. Berghammer finished the game with 240 yards passing and four passing touchdowns to go along with 189 rushing yards and another rushing touchdown for the clutch fourth quarter performance and a massive day for total offense. Kobe Berghammer gets a game ball. Crazy, crazy finish to that game. Crazy finish including the last however many seconds that we didn't get to see. Venturing a little further afield for the the off-the-beaten-path highlight, the new overtime rules added a new twist to the little three rivalry between NESCAC opponents Amherst and Wesleyan as it took four overtimes until anyone scored in the extra sessions. Amherst got a fourth down stop at the one in the first time around but threw an interception. Then Amherst was sacked out of field goal range in the second overtime but got another pick of Wesley and descended to a third extra frame. Now you guys know, right, if you've been paying attention, once you get to the third overtime this year, it is just basically penalty kicks or should we say two-point conversion plays one after another. So the team's traded missed two-point conversions in the third overtime, but in the fourth, Amherst finally broke through. Uh, Quarterback Brad Breckenridge fumbled the snap, but he was able to evade a couple of defenders, and he found Carson Oxenhurt for the successful conversion. Then Ricky Goodson picked off his second pass of the overtime sessions and sealed that 16-14 win. It's still very strange to look at an overtime score and see the final margin be two points. I'm still trying to, I, I still look at those and go, where did the safety come from? 
Oshkosh and Stout was not the only game with four touchdowns in the final five minutes. And for my off the beaten path highlight, I'm going to Castleton, Vermont, where Castleton rallied late for a 38-31 win over Anna Maria to retain the helmet trophy. Trailing 31-17 with 4.45 to play, the Amcats drove and scored with 2.47 to play, recovered an onside kick, and then scored again with 1.45 to play, tie the game. Castleton would get into scoring position on a 47-yard screen pass to Simon Davis Jr., which set up his third and nine, which set up this third and nine with 109 to play. Jack Healy and Jim Shootle have the call. Third down and nine for the Spartans at the... 21-yard line of the Amcats. McCarthy throws toward the end zone. It is caught for the touchdown. Cody Martinez. The Spartans retake the lead with 104 to go in the fourth quarter. And if you look at the mechanics right here of Jake McCarthy, he is like there's no way anybody else is. Look at the gun he throws. He just put everything into this one. Tony Martinez goes up, gets it. Great catch of the goal line. And I think, I think Jake McCarthy got hit after he threw the football, too. And the Spartans go up 37-31. Wow. Anthony Martinez hauled in that 21-yard pass from Jacob McCarthy for his eighth catch of the day for 120 yards and that most important touchdown. With this result, the ECFC is an absolute quagmire with four teams tied for first place at 3-1 and one with just two weeks to play. Boy, the Commonwealth Coast Conference is just as convoluted. So was trying to say Commonwealth Coast Conference, apparently. A lot of interesting conference races in the one. <laughs> My most surprising result from Saturday comes from the five. It comes from Bloomington, Illinois, where Illinois Wesleyan just pounded North Park 56 to six. Not that the winner necessarily is surprising. It's just the margin of victory. Um, And maybe perhaps also the fact that IWU just ran it right at North Park for 429 rushing yards, the most by a Titan squad since 1965. You know, the Johnson administration. No, Norm Ash was not coaching the team then. Uh, North Park was down 28 nothing by the midway point of the second quarter, and there was basically no recovering from that. So the Vikings' two-game CCIW win streak was summarily snapped. And my most surprising result comes from Storm Lake, Iowa, where Buena Vista got a late touchdown reception from Armani Johnson with 27 seconds left to play to stun Wartburg 24-20. While it was a touchdown pass that sealed the deal for the Beavers, it was the ground game that kept Buena Vista in position to win. The Beavers rushed for 192 yards on the day against the night defense that had been allowing just 72 yards per game this season. The win is three in a row in the ARC for Buena Vista, and the first time they've hit the five-win mark in a season since 2014. Buena Vista! That's not my stat. Also, not going to be my stat. Not my stat. That may be the most incredible stat. Lots of things are not my stat, but this is my stat of the week, and it comes from one player in one quarter of one game. That player is a freshman named Byron Owens, and he plays for Finlandia, which seems destined to break through with a win here at some point in the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference. He certainly did his level best with a team that trailed 28-12 to entering the fourth quarter as he scored three touchdowns and a two-point conversion, personally accounting for all of the Lions' points in the fourth quarter of what was an eventual 42-32 to defeat at Westminster of Missouri. Owens' breakaway speed definitely on display as he took an 82-yard pass for a touchdown. He returned a kickoff 92 yards for a score, and he caught another pass and took it 94 yards for six. His two-point conversion catch in the front right corner of the end zone made it a 10-point game, but Westminster was able to run out the clock. 268 all-purpose yards and 20 points in one quarter? It's my stat of the week. It's a good, very good stat. My stat of the week comes from Western Connecticut's 56-30 to win over Worcester State, 
Western Connecticut dominated this game on the ground, rushing for 444 yards and 8.4 yards per attempt, neither of which are my stat. The Colonials had not one, not two, but three different players rush for over 100 yards, which is also not my stat. Chad Blasky and Roy Penn Constantino had great games as two of the three backs to go over 100 yards for WestCon. But I want to focus on Mac Driver, all-name team nominee, who carried the ball 17 times for 136 yards and seven touchdowns. Seven rushing touchdowns is insane. It is also a single game high for Division Three in 2021, and that is my stat of the week. That's a good one. That's why we read those box scores. Make sure you upload those box scores schools on game day because that is where stats and notes come from. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. Now's the time of the podcast where we go to Twitter. We know how this works, or maybe you know how this works, or maybe we're just going to tell you right now. We, on Sundays, when we're about to record this podcast, will send out something called a tweet. It's generally a small message, uh, always 280 characters or less. That is an invitation, in this case, for you to send us a question for the podcast. And this one comes from Brian Proud, at HOF. He works at the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And he asks, what implications... Will the result of the Trinity Texas Birmingham Southern game likely have on the playoff picture, mainly bracketing who gets sent where in the first and second rounds? Hashtag D3FB. Great question because these are two teams on islands, right? Uh, the uh, I think the Mary Harden Baylor folks are hoping pretty heavily that Trinity gets into these playoffs. Birmingham Southern, who kind of sits in the middle, is uh, uh, there in the South Atlantic, like between the Atlanta teams and between the Texas teams is sometimes a difficulty to find a first round matchup for based on the fact that uh, first round matchups are supposed to be between or are supposed to be within 500 miles. Or are they supposed to be 600 this year? Oh, is it, would it be tragic if we had to retire the 500 miles drop? <laughs> That's a good question. I I know that, you know, uh, I've seen that it's in other sports handbooks and we don't have the football handbook yet to to make that thing official. There are not many places in which the changing the 500 mile rule to 600 miles uh, helps Division three much. Um, and it uh, doesn't get Birmingham Southern to Mary Harden Baylor, for example. Yeah, it's definitely a question, though. Who wins the SAA is definitely something that can have an effect on the shape of the bracket. It will. If you get, you know, if you get a drivable team, somebody within 500 or 600 miles of UMHB, UMHB is going to wind up with an opponent that they haven't typically seen either already this season or somebody that also doesn't constantly get um, sent to the Cathedral in round one, looking at Redlands. So it would be exciting for them to see somebody new in the first round. But I, you know, I think the, the way that that game and the result of that game impacts the bracketing just depends on who wins and, you know, Trinity busting up what we usually see in, in Texas uh, that could happen. Birmingham Southern, like you said, they're, they're kind of way out there in an odd space. And maybe they would be, if Trinity doesn't get in, if Birmingham Southern wins the SAA and Trinity doesn't get in via pool C, Birmingham Southern could maybe be a partner for UMHB or you can do, you know, who knows? They'd have to fly to UMHB. It's, it's over 700 miles. Um, what's interesting is that of course 
you know, if Birmingham Southern wins, they would probably be in line to be like a three seed or something along those lines. There are not actually seeds that are published, but that's about where they would kind of maybe fall in the pecking order, a three or a two seed. And then so you might be able to host a team like Huntington, which is 95 miles away, and that's a, a matchup that makes bracket sense. Also, if Huntington doesn't end up winning the USA South, Birmingham Southern is actually within 500 miles of Rose Holman, which is the leader in the Heartland Collegiate Athletic Conference. You don't really think of Indiana and Birmingham, Alabama as being within 500 miles of each other, but that's another place that uh, that they could go. You know, there are occasionally weird places that uh, that those teams can get to. Oh, WNL. Would Birmingham Southern be a partner for... Oh, how, Oda, I have Oda I have champion? I have searched this multiple times in previous years. So Birmingham Southern is not within 500 miles of WNL, but they are within 600 miles of WNL. So if that if that radius gets expanded, WNL could potentially get sent on a bus down to Birmingham, Alabama. And then the question is, of course, what do you do with Huntington? So I don't know. Somebody may have to end up go fly, uh, and go fly to. Linfield, for example, there may not be a second Pacific Northwest team, um, or they may, Whitworth could make the field. We talked a lot about this as a team this afternoon or this morning. Uh, you could send Whitworth somewhere and bring someone in to play Linfield. Um, we will know, well, we won't know more this week because those uh, regional rankings will be alphabetical for whatever reason. Um, hashtag check out the bonus pod. But uh, if nothing else, Birmingham Southern making the field definitely makes the bracket look a little more interesting. Birmingham Southern and Trinity both making the field would probably make the uh, the Texas folks happy. It's, it's kind of hard to it's, – it's still a little bit hard to tell, but we're getting close to the point where we can start looking at some of these bracket things and not have too many variables for it to be, you know, to make it a waste of our time. Like after week 10. Is, <laughs> yeah. Like th- this week's results where we – where we get down to just one game left and the scenarios get, you know, one or the other, that's when we can really start uh, piecing together what a bracket might look like and who might be in. Here's what we know. Cortland is in the field. One down, 31 to go. Brian, thanks for the question. It's a good one. I really appreciate people who are not just asking questions about their favorite team, so that's super helpful. And if you want to get your question about, especially about the big picture in Division Three football, send that tweet at us on Sunday evenings or wait for us to put out the call on Twitter. Looking ahead to that big week 10, looking at our games to watch, and I'm going to start with UW-Lacrosse at UW-Whitewater. This is a week with uh, multiple games that are definitely worth keeping an eye on. And this one might not be a playoff elimination game, but should be a game worthy of our attention. Max Myler did throw his second interception of the season on Saturday against UW-Eau Claire, but he threw for 303 yards and four touchdowns before giving way to Evan Lewandowski in a blowout win. Myler had trouble getting the ball to Ryan Wisniewski against River Falls in Week 8, but Wisniewski caught eight passes for 120 yards and three touchdowns. And then Alex Pete ran for 116 yards and 17 carries. So Eau Claire, obviously they're just 1-4 in the league, but they're generally not a pushover necessarily. That's a, you know, a, a pretty solid team to put up those numbers against. The question is going to be, you know, whether lacrosse running back Joey Stussman can run the ball on the whitewater defense, or for that matter, will Jacob Parks have time to throw and receivers open to get the ball to the parks was 16 to 24 against UW stout two weeks ago, but Stutzman averaged just 4.3 yards a carry that day. And his longest was 15 yards. So the lacrosse offense is going to need to be able to get that many yards of carry from him for sure. The question is whether they can be patient enough to get him 34 carries or if they are too far behind too quickly. 
regardless of how it turns out, this is a game I'm definitely looking forward to on Saturday. And my game of the week this week, we just talked about it a little bit. Trinity at Birmingham Southern. These two have navigated a pretty difficult SAA season unscathed, and we're going to get an SAA championship game on Saturday. Birmingham Southern has the household name in running back Chris Shuford, but the Panther offense also leans heavily on dual threat quarterback Trey Patterson. Trinity's offense is less well known, but they do have one of the nation's most efficient quarterbacks in Tucker Horn. Winston Hutchinson has been outstanding for the Tigers at running back. And Chris Stewart does a little bit of everything as a receiver and return specialist. These offenses are plenty capable, but both of these teams also boast top 10 defenses. Neither team has really shown many weak spots this season, and it is fitting that the SAA will come down to this game in week 10. The winner goes to the playoffs. The loser with just one loss will be in the at-large conversation as we head into Selection Sunday in just 13 days. Oh God, 13 days of Selection Sunday. Basketball starts on Friday. I'm not going to get any sleep for like the next three weeks. Well, let's do something random. Roulette wheel spinning, 114 games this week, and the ball lands in number 59. 59 is Birmingham Southern versus Trinity, so let's roll again. We'll take that, uh, we'll take that prerogative roll again every once in a while. New number 79. 79 is Concordia, Wisconsin at Wisconsin Lutheran. Or, in many cases... Greg, two teams I occasionally have trouble telling apart. <laughs> I mean, it's just like one of these is the Falcons. One of these is the Warriors. One of these was coached by Dennis Miller, but neither of them are coached by them now. They're both in the knack. One is six and two. One is two and six. So Concordia, Wisconsin, I should not lump them in with WLC, which is six and two. But of course, that's basically just two games apart in this knack standings. It is. You know, I like a I like a random knack game, and this is exactly what we've got. You're probably going to get a lot of points. Um, this is generally what happens in the knack. I feel like these teams, these teams have to play for something already. Do they not? They certainly should, shouldn't they? Yes. What do they do in Wisconsin? Cheese is too obvious. So is it like the Bratwurst Bowl or something like that? Right. This is your lobster trap game right here. We need your 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 Bratwurst your 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 beer and brat bowl buddy exactly the sausage king bowl no that has to include concordia chicago that has to be the sausage king bowl has to include concordia chicago and concordia wisconsin and then abe froman has to be the uh, guy tossing the coin at the beginning of the game greg it turns out that this is already the lutheran bowl see i thought it was already a thing makes sense right i got 95 theses but remembering which bowl this is named after ain't one I can, I, can, I can come up with a better one. Give me a second here. It does seem silly for us to reinvent the wheel, right? I think I'm just going to take this list of 95 possible bowl names and I'm going to nail it to the door over at the uh, Athletic Center at Concordia, Wisconsin. It's time for On the Spot. On the Spot here coming into week 10, and I believe that means it's your turn to spot me up first. I will, and I'm, you know... On the spot this week, we got one team in. There's 26 automatic bids left out there. Some of them are going to get done this Saturday. Pat, how many automatic bids are going to be handed out this coming Saturday? I'm holding up the proverbial envelope to my head, and it's not really telling me. I Good question. Good question. So let's see here. I just have to scroll through here for a minute. Now, there are some that we know are in... 
win and in situations. The SAA, we know, is a win and in. DePaul in the North Coast just needs to win one more game against either Oberlin this week or Wabash in week 11, and they will win the North Coast. Central, I believe, just needs one win. I'm clicking through as quickly as I can. Uh, Salisbury would be winning in. Linfield winning in. Redlands is winning in. Redlands against Whittier. I have seven. I have seven that I think will clinch this weekend. I basically all of these winning ins seem like they're gonna go. I we could uh, Mount Union could also clinch if they win and John Carroll also loses, but that oh no right the Mount Union John Carroll game is not in week eleven anymore. So so in fact I'm probably gonna revise that as well. I think that's eight then. I think I have eight win and in scenarios, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take all of them. So I'm going to try to run the table with all eight. Like North Central can beat Wash U and finish that off, right? Um, I'm pretty sure the Centennial is not going to get resolved. You mentioned Central. There's a there's a good number of these. We'll probably be pretty busy on Saturday doing that sort of thing. We will. Eight. All right. Eight Poulets locked up on Saturday. All right. Putting you on the spot with a really tricky question as well, Greg. Which game should I go to on Saturday? And here are my parameters. Uh, I'm not able to fly. 600 miles? I'm not. I don't think so. It has to be less than 600 miles because I have to be able to sleep in my bed in this house on Saturday night, even if that means I'm getting home at one o'clock in the morning. Any thoughts as to which of these games I should go to? Like I've been thinking about, obviously, that uh, Whitewater Lacrosse game at Whitewater. I had been thinking about Dubuque at Central, and then. On Saturday, of course, uh, Dubuque lost at Coe, so they picked up their second consecutive loss. Maybe that's not as attractive, but I'd really like to see Blaine Hawkins in person. I haven't been to Central maybe since that uh, snowy, icy 2007 quarterfinal against Bethel. Uh, I could go to St. John's at Carleton. I'm looking for uh, I'm looking for advice. Let's see. Yeah, Central Dubuque. I mean, the Blaine Hawkins show, that is – that's – that's been that's been a thing this whole season. Does fully meet requirements in terms of geography also. I mean St. John's Carlton maybe, but also St. John's taking no prisoners at the moment. Um that might not be the best game, even though Carlton is having one of their better seasons in a while. Aurora at Lakeland. That could be a, a knack decider. I know you've you've seen Aurora once already this season, and I've been to Lakeland, and that is a tough drive home. There's just Ooh. no inter, there's no interstate between here and Lakeland. I was literally just chatting with a former Lakeland assistant coach uh, on Twitter DMs the other day, and he reminded me that I was there for that game when some record was something something. I said, "Yeah," and I almost fell asleep on the highway on the way home. So I do think I think if. I were in your shoes. I think my choices would be between lacrosse and whitewater and uh, Dubuque and central. And I would probably lean toward that game in whitewater as that is probably going to be a WIAC decider. Damn it. I was hoping you would say Dubuque at central. I don't know why. (laughs) Now, I mean, you, you're literally in the driver's seat here, Pat. You can choose to go to Dubuque and Central and buzz me out next week on the, on the, on the spot, on the spot check. I was going to say, though, I mean, or 
I could go to one and the other could clearly objectively have been the better game. And then you, you know, then that would be the determiner of what's right. It's not which game am I going to? The question is, which game should I go to? I think the better game is going to be lacrosse at Whitewater. I do think that's going to be a close game this week. Yeah. Well, I agree. We'll see if I can uh, manage to get there. (laughs) A somewhat unconventional on the spot question last week here in spot check i asked greg to pick the wesleyans which is that uh, to say to pick winners in four games on this past saturday which involved teams with wesleyan in the name of the school first a moment of silence for wesley which closed this past summer and then a half moment of shrug for iowa wesleyan which returned to the naia after giving g3 a big a brief try Greg picked the Wesleyan in three of four instances, going with Wesleyan of Connecticut over Amherst, Nebraska Wesleyan over Simpson, Illinois Wesleyan over North Park, and Huntington over North Carolina Wesleyan. Pretty good week, even a veto-proof majority, with the only miss being that previously mentioned four-overtime game where Amherst beat Wesleyan. And hey, quick side note, if you have not already voted, tomorrow is election day here in the U.S., so find out what's on the ballot in your jurisdiction and go vote. Always great advice. Last week, I gave Pat a couple of over-unders on the triple option fest between Merchant Marine and Springfield. Pat took the over on 9.5 pass attempts and was correct as Merchant Marine quarterback Ian Blankenship attempted what I have to assume is close to a career-high 23 pass attempts all by himself. Springfield threw just two forward passes for a game total of 25. Pat also chose over the two-hour and 23-minute time of game line that I set, and despite the plethora of passing, that game concluded in a brisk 219. See, I figure if you're going to take the over on passing, then you have to take also the over on time of game, right? You do. And they tried. Uh, Merchant Marine, that game was that game was on schedule to wrap up at about 210. And then Merchant Marine had three timeouts left at the end of that game, and they used them all. And they felt long. They felt like long timeouts. <laughs> I could just see you sweating bullets there on the other side of the on the other side of the country, trying to will that game to its conclusion. And then Merchant Marine gets the ball back, and they're you know airing it out because they've got seventy yards to go and no not much time to do it. And you know they did they did they got it wrapped up in two nineteen, um, but the last minute and a half of that game took almost ten minutes of real time. As they do, you'd think it was a college basketball game or something. At least that's what I thought you were going to think. What's the deal with Mary Harden Baylor quarterback Kyle King? If you were looking at the uh, box score from Saturday, and maybe you don't necessarily always look at Mary Harden Baylor box score. Every thought of yours is a friend of mine. Because, you know, they are often blowout wins, but maybe this week's 29 to nothing game against Bellhaven caught your eye. And you looked at the passing line and said, huh, I know Ryan Redding. I've heard of that guy. I know he's not the starting quarterback. Kyle King got uh, rolled up pretty badly in a, uh, on a tackle in the game against Sol Ross back in week eight. Redding is a guy who's been the three on the depth chart for quite some time for Pete Fred- Fredberg's squad, elevated to the starting lineup this past Saturday against Bellhaven. 8 for 20 passing for 114 yards. You remember Bellhaven? They're the ones that uh, we keep talking about in terms of possessing the ball and running up the clock in terms of time of possession. And Bellhaven did have the ball for 39 minutes. I mean, Redding and the Mary Harden-Baylor offense held the ball for just under 21 minutes. And, you know, maybe a bit of a uh, light day in terms of total offense with, 200, with 291 yards. And maybe 29 points is not what you expect from a, a number one team in the country. 
but defense wins that game. Redding gets some real-time playing experience, and I don't have any good indication as to whether Kyle King will be back this week against Howard Payne, but I would have to think that uh, having a week off can't hurt that possibility. And they're going to want him back and ready for the playoffs. So, um, you know, Kyle King is definitely the key to that Crusader offense this season, I think. Um, Baldwin Wallace is a team that I've had on the end of my ballot for the last couple of weeks, and then they fell off this week after a too-close-for-comfort game against Marietta. The Yellow Jackets are the only team with a legitimate shot at an at-large bid from Region 4. Not really a great year for depth and quality in the four. But Baldwin Wallace will have to step up their game pretty significantly over the last two weeks against Ohio Northern and John Carroll to get into the clubhouse at 9-1 and and be in the discussion for a playoff bid. McAllister won an MIAC game for the first time in more than 20 years since September 29th of 2001 as the Scots beat Hamlin 23-13 to take home the paint bucket trophy. Um, McAllister, if you're young, you may not know. They left the MIAC in football only after that 2001 season, and they played as an independent for a while. They played with UMAC teams. They were a member of the Midwest Conference, and they won that conference title and got a playoff bid there. Uh, but the Scots came back home to the place where they played the rest of their games before this season uh, once St. Thomas left, and they finally got their first conference win upon their return and a trophy to boot. One more under-the-radar Pool C team, Whitworth. Depending on how Carnegie Mellon fares over the, over the last two weeks, Whitworth may sneak a regionally ranked win in from the Tartans. The Pirates have a decent strength of schedule of 531 right now, and that shouldn't move around too much after games with Pacific and George Fox to finish the season. Barring upsets in the Mayak and the Wyak, mild upsets at best, by the way, the Pirates could be first on the Pool C board from Region 6 and would have a, real, have a very realistic chance at an invitation. An old trophy got brought back into a rivalry for this year between Otterbein and Capital, the Oars. The Oars were, that's O-A-R-S, they were originally introduced into the rivalry between these two Columbus, Ohio area schools in 1933 in recognition of Alum Creek, or maybe it's Alum Creek, but I just assume it's Alum Creek. Uh, it passes by both of those schools in the Columbus area. Capital led this game on Saturday by nine points midway through the fourth quarter, but Otterbein rallied with two touchdowns in the final four minutes to paddle away with the 38-33 to win. And Greg, Oars, officially on the list. I do like trophies that have utility. Oars, buckets, lobster traps, love them all. Uh, my last thought this week is for all of the seniors that played their last home game, this week or will be playing their final home games in the next couple of weeks. Senior day feels a little bit different this year, and I applaud all of the players and teams that have persevered and adapted and overcome the obstacles of the last 20 months to get this season played essentially in its entirety. Uh, this group of seniors endured circumstances that were really unimaginable, and it's great to see them get those senior day moments as we wind out this regular season. And that was Around the Nation podcast number 292, released on November 1st, 2021. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for continued coverage throughout the season. You can support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports or D3Sports.com slash help. Uh, even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, a classmate, people who are fans of Division Three football about this Division Three football podcast and this Division Three football website. Also, you can rate and review this podcast in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. 
You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more tracks from him as well, and you can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to Kurt Fitzpatrick as well as Cortland SID, Fran Elia. Fran, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. If it's Elia or Elia, and I have said this multiple times and I could not find it today, my apologies. Thanks to Greg Thomas, my co-host, and thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McGill. I got a kick out of the Lake Forest people saying that Monmouth was seen as the better team. I guess, I don't know. I guess I didn't have that Uh, opinion. Monmouth had gotten its ears pinned back by Wartburg, and I hadn't really given them any credit for being any good after that. No. I mean, mean they're they're fine, but that wasn't a... That wasn't a result there that I think is super surprising. Lake Forest has played well. Um, they have the best player on the field in that game. Um, We're going to write a story about him this week. What else? We got, they got, a, you know, they got uh, Danny es- Dante Esposito leads the nation in interceptions. He had a pick six. Like All of their guys for Lake Forest came to play. And, you know, Monmouth scored three points until it didn't matter 10 seconds left in the game right mm-hmm. 11 wins in a row for lake forest it is and now they're gonna have they get a i think they get uh an exhale against beloit this week and then and then a big one in in lake forest with chicago all the marbles we will basically have a midwest conference championship game on that final week we will. Chicago could win, and then we get a three-way tie situation. I don't know how it breaks, but... Oh, it'll break. They'll be broken. In some way, that will upset somebody. You know, part of the uh, Around the Nation columnist job is to chase down all those three-way tiebreakers, so good luck. You should contact the CCC right now, as well as the ECFC. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.